0: Well, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Matthew 6, we are continuing our study through the Lord's Prayer this morning, and I'll invite you, if you have a Bible there, if you want to stand, uh, for the reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew 6, verses 9 to 15, give ear to the reading of God's Holy Word. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Uh, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, and ask him to uh, teach us his word and give us understanding that we might grow in our faith. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we come and we ask that you would teach us that you would help us not to be uh, so familiar with this familiar text that we are unable to learn uh, from it what we sh- what we need to learn. Lord, teach us to pray. Help us to learn how to pray according to your will that we might be heard and and know that we are answered. Teach us, uh, work in us by your spirit, give us once again uh, eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word let us be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves for we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord amen well if you've uh, if you've been here most of you have been for most of our time in the Lord's prayer so far uh, you'll remember uh, that there's a, a distinct outline or pattern to the Lord's prayer the first half, which we've just finished looking at last Lord's Day, the first half of this great pattern prayer that Jesus gives us, uh, what does it focus our attention on? What are the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer mainly about? They are about uh, the things of God first. They put the things of God first in our prayers if we pray according to the Lord's Prayer. That is, what are the first three requests? His the, That God's name might be hallowed, that His kingdom might be Uh, might come and that his will might be done. The things of God come first. And so if you and I would conform, uh, if we would conform our prayers to the pattern that Christ has set before us in this prayer when he says in verse 9, pray then like this, then you and I have to make it our aim by God's grace and the work of his Spirit to seek the things of God first and then and only then make our own requests and needs known to God in, in prayer. We're gonna look this morning at the first Request in that second half of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to start our study of the second part of the Lord's Prayer here this morning. Uh, Those first three requests, again, they're about the things of God. The last three things, the last three requests of the Lord's Prayer is where Jesus teaches us to pray and how to pray for our own needs, our own bodily, earthly needs, and the needs of our brethren of these first three requests of the second part of the prayer, Martin Lloyd-Jones, some of you know who that is, great preacher of the uh, mid-20th century, he writes this, "...all our great needs are summed up in them. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Our whole life is found there in these three petitions." And that is what makes this prayer so utterly amazing. In such a small compass, or space, in such a small compass, our Lord has covered the whole life of, of the believer in every respect. Our physical needs, our mental needs, and of course, our spiritual needs are included. He's right. He really, this, this little short part of this prayer, this second half, as short as it is, these last three requests, they really do cover everything you need. In this life, your daily needs of every kind, every, every need that you have and that you would need to pray for is somehow summarized in those requests. You and I are creatures of body and soul, body and soul, and so the necessities of both our bodies, our daily bread, as well as our souls, forgive us our debts, are to be prayed for and sought from the loving and all-powerful hand of our Father in heaven. Everything we need and everything that we need to pray about is summed up here in the second part of the Lord's Prayer. And so the first lesson that you and I must learn from the second half of the Lord's Prayer is that we aren't to neglect any part of our lives in our prayer lives. To the glory of God, you and I must seek the things that are needful both to our bodies as well as our souls in prayer. Now, What that means is we must not be too, quote-unquote, spiritual to pray for our physical bodily needs in this life. Both for ourselves and for other people. Likewise, we shouldn't be so focused on our material needs, our bodily needs, that we neglect to pray also for our spiritual needs as well, such as forgiveness, protection from temptation and evil and things such as that. Very often we tend to lean on one towards one way or the other. We spend all of our time, you know sometimes uh, I've heard people call uh, prayer meetings organ recitals because all we pray about is our bodily organs and things that are failing, and you know uh, um, now it, it, we should include that, but it shouldn 't just be that. We need to pray for our bodily needs, which are very real needs. We should not neglect our bodies and our prayers, uh, the needs that we have for this daily life, but we should also pray for our spiritual needs as well. Uh, there's also a second lesson to be learned from this structure of the Lord's Prayer in the second half. And A.W. Pink writes the following. He says, "Let us be careful. Let us carefully note the proportion that is observed in these last four petitions. One of them concerns our bodily needs. Three, I would say two, uh, three relate to the concerns of the soul. This teaches us that in prayer, as in all other activities of life." Temporal concerns are to be subordinated to spiritual concerns. I think there's limits to that, but it has to be both. But I think it's instructive that two-thirds of this section on our own needs deals with spiritual things, and only one deals with the physical things. You might have heard the old proverb uh, of sorts. Uh, your, maybe your parents told you this a few times, that God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And what, what, what do they say that math is supposed to imply? We listen twice as much as we talk, or we, sh- we should listen twice as much as we talk. We should be slow to speak and quick to hear. Well, in a similar way, the latter half of the Lord's prayer spends twice as much time focusing on our spiritual needs as it does on our physical needs, and that's not without reason. That should, that should affect how we pray. We should not fail to pray for our, our physical, temporal needs, but we should pray even more so, for our physical needs, for forgiveness of sin, for protection from temptation and from the evil one. Well, that brings us to the first request of this second half of the Lord's Prayer or the fourth petition or request for our daily bread. It's found in verse 11, a very short, as they all are, a very short request. Jesus there tells us to pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. We're to pray that. Give us this day our daily bread. What does it mean to pray for our daily bread? What are you and I asking God for? What are we, what are we being taught to ask our Heavenly Father for when we ask for our daily bread? And why do we have to pray for it? Have you ever gone, I asked the kids last night, have you ever gone hungry? Have you ever, you know, because we didn't have food. They, they might not eat, but is there ever a lack of food in the house? Have we ever had need to starve a single day in your whole life. And they had to say no. Well, so do we think we don't have to pray for it? We've, there's always food. Why do we have to pray for food that's already, already there? Well, the, the, the Shorter Catechism explains the fourth petition this way. We're not going to use it as an outline for the sermon, but it's helpful to see what it says. Question 104, it says simply, What do we pray for in the fourth petition? In the fourth petition, which is uh, give us this day our daily bread, we pray that, God, that of God's free gift we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. So we pray that of God's free gift, his grace, we might receive, what, is it, what does it say? A competent portion, a sufficient portion of the good things of this life and then it adds, and enjoy his blessing with them. Sometimes we have without asking, but we don't really enjoy God's blessing with these things because we didn't ask, and we don't give God thanks. What are What is a competent portion of the good things of this life? It's our daily needs. It's whatever you need for your daily life in this life. The Heidelberg Catechism likewise deals with the Lord's Prayer, and it tells us that daily bread here refers to, quote, all things necessary for the body. Not just food, all things necessary for the body. And so the first thing you and I have to understand in this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer is that we are taught here to ask God that by His grace He provide us with all of our physical needs, all of our daily needs, everything that our bodies need in order for us to live and to serve God for His glory. Not just food, not just water, not just shelter. Whatever it is that you and I need we seek it where? We seek those things from God himself and for his glory. And his, uh, You might know Kevin DeYoung has a book on the Heidelberg Catechism. We've been going through the Heidelberg on Sunday nights. The book is called The Good News We Almost Forgot. And because he goes to the Heidelberg, he goes through the section on the Lord's Prayer. And he says this interesting thing. He says, give us this day our daily bread. I can't decide if this is the request we pray the most or pray the least. Now, why does he say that? I think he's right. You know, in, you you could say that most of our requests seem like they're about our daily bread because they're about, you know, what I need. Lord, we lift up our needs and we should. And yet, uh, you know, we might seem to pray for our daily bread more often than anything else because we're always praying about the things of this life, our concerns about this life. But how often are we actually not praying for our needs at all and praying mostly just for our desires which go far beyond our needs, I think if that 's the case, are we really praying for our daily bread in the first place? Maybe not I mean don't no mistake God God often gives us far more than we need. I would almost say God always gives us more than we need. we aren 't living on bread and water. Uh, anyone here that I know, and i 've never had that to be the case in my life, but I think that 's right and i don 't think it's an accident that Jesus teaches us to pray for bread. He doesn't tell me to pray for my daily porterhouse steak as much as I might enjoy that. I think this is to, to teach us, among other things, to distinguish between our actual needs, and we do have needs, uh, and, and distinguish those things from our desires, which I think is an important thing. How often do we mistake our, our desires for our actual needs? I think we do that more often than we care to admit. Now, God... Uh, Thankfully, our Heavenly Father gives good gifts to His children. He often lavishes you you and I with more than we need, far more than we need. We get far more than our daily bread, and we have to see these things as what they are. They're gifts. Daily bread is a gift, and everything else God gives is a gift. What does James 1.17 remind us of? It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God has given us uh, far more than our daily needs. He's given us many good things over and above that, and we should be thankful to him for that. In this way, we're also taught in this request, we're taught not only to pray for our daily needs, but we're also taught the grace of contentment. Contentment, not grumbling like the Israelites did, as we read this morning in Exodus 16. Or, but the uh, contentment, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, he writes... But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a, a, a phrase that you could spend an hour unpacking. Godliness with contentment is not just okay; great gain. Doesn't sound like great gain, but that's what Paul says, and the Bible says it is. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. What's the saying? You can't take it with you. That's what, that's what Paul says. But if we have what? Food and clothing with, with these, we will be content. God's provision. Food and clothing. Contentment with godliness is great gain. Why? Because there's only so much you can spend. There's only so much you can do. You cannot take it with you. What's the old, the old joke? There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. You know, we don't, we don't take it with us. Proverbs fifteen sixteen says this: Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure, and trouble with it. Our prayers should echo that prayer found in Proverbs verse, chapter thirty, verses eight to nine. The the proverb writer says this: Remove from me falsehood. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God? There's a balance. And we don't always know where that balance is. We'd like to think we know, but we probably don't. And what does that imply? You know, not, not many people, not many of us can handle riches in a godly way. Riches can be a snare the Bible says. We all imagine, I think I do, maybe you do too, we like to imagine that, you know, well, I'd like to find out. You know, I, I think I do just fine handling, you know, riches if I had them. Um, but riches and too much of the good things of this life often lead us astray. And what does that proverb say? It It leads us to imagine that we don't need God. And before you say, well, that could never be me, how often do we actually pray for our daily bread? Because when you don't, it's us saying a lack of prayer means I think I can handle this on my own. I've got this, God. I don't need this, and I've got a good job. I've got a good job, and that, that, that's why we have food in the fridge and, and cars that run, and, and yet we, we forget that we have to ask that God gives us those things by his, by his grace. And I think this request, I won't go into this too much, but you, many of you have heard of the, the so-called prosperity gospel you have these preachers on TV and elsewhere that, you know, Joel Osteen and whatnot that tell you live your best life now and it's God's will that you be wealthy, healthy and, you know, prosperous and all these things and, and you, you always go to them and say, well, what did Jesus say? Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man had what? No place to lay His head. The, it's, a prosperity gospel preacher cannot pray, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't. He thinks God has sent Jesus Christ to make you rich the wrong way. Did Jesus Christ make you rich? Yes, he's lavished all the riches of God's grace on. You have an inheritance that you can't even, I can't even imagine. Someday, when we're in heaven, we're all going to feel really dumb. We just are. We're going to look down on the things we used to worry about and think, what was I thinking? What was that? why did I lay up all these treasures on earth that don't mean squat? when I have all these heavenly riches that I can't even imagine for eternity. That's why Jesus said to lay up treasures for yourselves. Where? In heaven. And you do that even now uh, by faith as you serve God in your generation. So our daily bread teaches us to pray for our daily needs. Our daily bread, praying for that, also teaches us dependence upon God. Our daily bread teaches us dependence upon God. It's the next thing that this request Teaches us to pray for our daily bread means that we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. Even the smallest morsel of food that we have. It's not an accident that Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread and not our monthly bread. He doesn't tell us to pray for our yearly supply ahead of time. Our daily bread. Now this, this imagery is most certainly, I think, intended to point you and I back to the Exodus, back to chapter 16 of Exodus, and that bread from heaven that we read about this morning that God provided the children of Israel with for over, how long? Forty years he fed them with that. I'm sure they might have grumbled about the lack of variety in the menu, uh, but God provided for them miraculously. There was no, remember what did they call it? What does the word manna mean? It means what is it? It's a a hint that it was a miraculous provision that God gave them right up until they entered the promised land, and then it stopped. God kept them going. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothing did not wear out. They got water from the rock. They got bread from heaven. And I think that is what Jesus is pointing us back to when you pray for daily bread. If you know your Old Testament, I don't know how you could read that phrase and not think back to uh, the manna in the, the wilderness. Now, the Old Testament scripture reading this morning was that chapter on that, the bread from heaven. Uh, We talked about the first half of the chapter being all about the children of Israel doing what? Grumbling, complaining. Eight times, I think it was, in that first 12 verses, the word grumbling shows up. And at least four times, God says, the Lord has heard your grumbling. And by his kindness, he still fed them. He still gave them uh, the, the manna. Now, they gave He also gave them, in the second part of that chapter, he gave them some very specific instructions about the manna. He didn't just say, hey, here's food, go nuts. He said, here is how you are to do it. He gave them very specific instruction. First, Exodus 16, verse 16, they had to what? They had to gather it. They didn't just wake up in the morning and open up their jar, their omer. Up oh, there it is, it's full again. They had to go out and gather it. They were to gather as much as they needed, and it would amount to a measurement called an omer. I don't know exactly how much that is, but it was, it was enough to feed each person in their households, in their tents. The second thing he told them was they were to leave none of it until morning. They couldn't save it up for a rainy day. They couldn't save it up for later. They couldn't store it up at all. And, and what did that teach them? It taught them that they had to trust God for their provisions when? Every day on a daily basis and also god says in this way he was going to test them he was going to te- could god have give, had give could he have given them a month's advance certainly could he have given them a year could he just sent this huge pile of manna down and fed them for weeks at a time and every so often they'd have to stop and you know shovel it in and carry it on their bags no he could have done that but he didn't because he wanted to teach them on a daily basis. And he wanted to test them. He says it himself. He wanted to test them to see if they would walk in his law or not. He wanted to test if they would trust him at his word and obey him. Third thing, they would gather a double portion on which day? The sixth day, the day before the Sabbath, the one day God would give them extra. The one day they were allowed and instructed to keep some extra. It was because of what? It was because of the Sabbath. Sabbath. Now remember, when was the Ten Commandments? When was that given? Four chapters after that. But the Sabbath was already understood to be a creation ordinance of God. They knew they were supposed to keep the Sabbath and serve God on that day. And so for six days they would gather it. But on the seventh day, if they went out to look for manna, what would happen? They found none. God provided them ahead of time. He actually had them bake it and boil it ahead of time on the day before in what? to prepare for the Sabbath, that they might still have their needs met, but be freed up to worship and serve God and rest on that holy day. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses speaks the word of God to the people of Israel, and he reminded them of the manna. This is towards the end. Deuteronomy, remember, Deuteronomy is right before they go into the promised land, so Moses is kind of giving them a, a, a review of sorts. He's saying, here's, remember what God did. He says, uh, Deuteronomy 8, 2-3, to three, he says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Don't forget the lessons God taught, right? Uh, in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger. He let them hunger for a time. Let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Nobody had ever heard of it before. It was a new thing, a miraculous thing. Why? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, this was a 40-year-long teachable, teachable moment. God was teaching them to trust him uh, and to, and to trust them even with their their daily lives, even with their daily provision, that they would know that they don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. They would have to trust God's word that He was going to provide for them in that manner. So the manna was intended to teach them their their dependence upon God. When you're in the middle of nowhere, and there's no shopping, there's no shopping market, there's no grocery store, there's no Seven Eleven. There's no place to grow crops. There's no water. And yet what did God do? Forty years he provided for them food and water. And He intended this way to humble them. They couldn't, they couldn't see themselves as self-made people. They couldn't see themselves as providing for themselves just fine. They had to say, the only way, only way we got food was that God provided it. It was meant to test them to see if they would trust his word and obey his commandments. You know, it takes trust. In God's promises and His provision to obey His commandments in these kinds of things. It really does. It, you know, we, we sing a song sometimes. I should have picked it for today, but I didn't. You know, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Those two things aren't the same thing. Obedience is not trust, but it's impossible to obey God really from the heart if you don't trust Him. Because many of His commandments are kind of tests. Or they involve a kind of test to see if we really are going to trust God at his word. And what's the lesson that Moses tells them? That this manna was to teach them and to teach us that man doesn't live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know you might know where else that, that's, that same passage was quoted in the New Testament. Remember Jesus? Where was Jesus tempted? By the, by the evil one, by Satan. Matthew chapter 4. In the wilderness, for 40 days and 40 nights, and what happened? He didn't eat. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and what did the devil do? Command these stones. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And what did Jesus say? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says to the the serpent, to, to the evil one, man does not live by bread alone, but by what? In other words, doing God's will is more important than even my food, than even having my daily bread. Jesus quotes that passage, I think, for us to remind us how important it is. So here we see the manna, the daily bread. Think about this. The manna, the Sabbath, which was also mentioned in Exodus chapter 16, and even the command to tithe. They all, all three of those things have something in common. They require you to trust in God's ongoing care and provision. You know, in, in our day, very often, in years past, The Sabbath commandment, you notice when you read Exodus 20, which we're going to read in a couple Sundays like we always do on the first Sunday, we read the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment, the one on the Sabbath, uh, talks about not working. Now, in most places all over this world, in the vast majority of history, that's been the issue, working. Because if, if you didn't work, you might suffer lack. Uh, in our day, I think recreation is the more common uh, thing that we we have so much time on our hands and so many resources that we're not tempted to work. Most of us, although some of us are, but we're tempted to you know recreation and do do things like it's Saturday Part Two. But the Sabbath wasn't just worshiping God, although that's the main thing. It it was really a temptation uh, to work on that day. Why? Because what, what's the old saying? Time is money. And so if I make this much in 24 hours or whatever the time period is on a Monday, Tuesday through Saturday to take that day off and to set it aside for the worship of God you can see how the unbelieving math can go we can say well I'm going to suffer lack and God says no one that's the lesson of the manna what did God do? He gave them twice as much on the sixth day and that was the one day they could save it up why? to free them up to serve and worship God a day of holy rest the man of the Sabbath and tithing, all these things, among other things, it's, it's a test. It's a test of our dependence upon God and our trust in Him. You know, we're often tempted to think that, uh, you know, we have to trust in our own way. We have to go around God's commands. We naturally think that if we do, if we do it God's way, we're going to suffer need. And very often, I think the exact opposite of what happens. We do our own thing and we suffer need. Instead of Doing God's way and seeing that God provides. Matthew chapter 6 verses 31 to 34 there, Jesus Christ says, Therefore, here's a, it sounds simple but it's easy, it's a hard command. Therefore do not be anxious. Do not be anxious saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Why? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Don't be anxious, but trust God and pray. Ask God for his provision. That leads us to the the third thing that, that is taught here. And it might sound kind of redundant, but our daily bread teaches us to pray for our daily bread on a daily basis. This this request teaches us to pray. It teaches that we're dependent upon God for all things. And it also teaches us to act on that knowledge by praying. And praying on a daily basis. We need to pray to God often. God wants us to come to him on a daily basis, even for our daily needs. We might be tempted to think that such kind of a prayer is redundant. We might think sometimes that this kind of a prayer, as we've said before, is unnecessary. But we'd be wrong. You know, it's very easy for us, and especially in our in our culture in our day, uh, to ascribe all that we have to our own work, to ascribe everything we have to our own diligence. In fact, you know, we compare ourselves with other people, and we we see some people that you know maybe aren't the most uh, the hardest workers in the world, and they suffer lack, and that's not for no reason. But sometimes we we take that conclusion the wrong way, and we say, well, I have this because of me, and it's almost like that that that. Uh, Prayer in the temple that the Pharisees, oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like so-and-so, like that guy over there. You know, we say, I thank you that I have all this stuff because I'm not like that lazy person over there. But those are, those are what we call secondary causes. You should, you should work diligently. You should work hard. Work is a good thing. It's a gift of God. It's how God often, almost always, how God provides for our needs. But those things are secondary causes. We even owe those things to God as well. How do you have the ability to do the job you have, or to do the work that you have? Where did you get it from, if not from God himself? If God were to withhold our daily bread from us, none of our work or diligence would do any good. We would still have nothing. We owe every last bit of what we have to God. Thomas Vincent writes this, he says, we may have, we may have convenient outward provisions without our asking, but we cannot have them without God's giving. You might have things without asking, but only the only reason you have them, whether you asked or not, is that God gave them. James four, two to three says, ye have not because ye what? Ask not. Uh, Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it on your lusts. A lot of times we don't have because we don't ask. How often is prayer my last resort? I'll do everything I can think of then at the last as the last resort, okay, maybe I should have prayed. Happens to me more often than it than it should. We sometimes have not because we don't ask God. And sometimes we ask, why don't we ask? It kind of goes back to the second point. When we don't pray, when we don't ask God for help and for our needs to be met, what are we really saying? I've got this. We're saying, I don't need God in this situation. This is This is not big enough. I can handle all this on my own. We can't handle anything on our own. We need to pray. And so to ask for our daily bread means that we pray on a daily basis. One last, in closing, I'd like to look at one last point, and that's the daily bread and the bread of life. Our daily bread and the bread of life. You know, we think, uh, whenever you think of our daily bread, whenever you pray, as we do every first Sunday, maybe you pray with your family other times as well, for our daily bread, let this turn your attention back to the bread of life, which that manna was a picture of. And that bread of life is not a what, it's a whom. It's Jesus Christ himself. He calls himself, he calls himself what? The bread of life that comes down from heaven. Without the bread of life, your daily bread does you no good. You can have all your daily needs met, all your physical needs, bodily needs in this life met. But if you don't have the bread of life, uh, the bread from heaven... It doesn't do it any good. Listen to John 6, verse 35 to 40. Jesus there says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Sounds like a lot of tie-ins to the will of God, like the previous request in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done. Have, so I asked this morning, have you believed on Jesus Christ? Do you have the real bread of life by knowing Christ by faith? You know, if if you don't have Christ, if you don't have the bread of life, nothing else will ever be enough. You will never have enough. Nothing will ever suffice. All the riches in this world will not suffice and even begin to satisfy the hunger that you have if you don't have Christ. If you don't have Christ, you will always be hungry. If you don't have Christ, you will always be dying of thirst because nothing else in this world is ever enough. You might know the quote from Augustine's Confessions. I think it's on the very first page. I'll translate it somewhat. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee we 're never at rest until we rest in christ we 're never stopping being hungry and thirsty until we have our hunger and our thirst assuaged in Christ. come come to Christ by faith if you have not come to him already. You will never hunger again. Look to him and believe, and what does he say? Those who believe will have eternal life amen let 's let 's pray Heavenly Father. we thank you that you have provided so much for us that you have given us our daily bread and, and far more Lord we all have. Uh, far more than we can even imagine. We have more now on our worst day than some people in different parts of this world could even imagine having, Lord. Even having running water is uh, is riches that some can't comprehend, Lord. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for the rain, this reminder of your, your great provision for us that you send your sun and your rain on the just and the unjust alike. And Lord, we thank you for our daily bread and we thank you even more that you have given us the bread of life the bread from heaven your son Jesus Christ our Lord that we might look to him and have life and never hunger again Lord those of us who when we eat the bread of this earth we hunger again but if we have have uh, had the bread of life in Christ we never hunger again we thank you that you have not left us in our darkness and unbelief and sin but have opened our eyes that we might uh, see Christ and look to him even as he says in John 6 we might look to him by faith and have eternal life in him we thank you for that lord thank you that that none of those you give to him will ever be lost we thank you that this is your will lord and father we pray that you might give us grace to look to you for our daily bread that we might on a on a regular basis pray to you for our daily bread for all the things needful in this life that we might serve you that we might have the things that we need in order to glorify your name and serve you and do your will and in our generation, and we ask that you would give us uh, give us hearts that don't complain and grumble against you, but that we might be dependent upon you. We might be content in you. We might look to you with thankful hearts for all your provision, and we might be reminded by our daily bread of the bread from heaven that we have in Christ. And Lord, we pray that if there's someone here, uh, even this morning, that that uh, is still in their sins and has not yet looked to you and is still trying to find satisfaction and fullness and all the different things of this world and is finding those things to come up empty we pray that you would uh, turn them open their eyes turn them from their sin turn them to faith in christ that they might be filled to the full and have eternal life in his name for we ask all this in christ's name amen